I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, I'll be reading verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 4. Again he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much, uh, where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who... When they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones who, the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your word would bear fruit this morning. Give us minds to understand, give us ears to hear, and hearts to receive your word this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm guessing that many of you can probably testify to having friends or family members or people you knew who, who at one point in their life uh, professed faith in Jesus. And, and by all indication, they seem to have been living for Jesus, following Jesus, they seem to be, to some degree, committed to a church. But over time, they began to waver. Their faith began to weaken, so to speak, and they ended up falling away. They ended up walking away from the Lord and, and from the church. Uh, in my own personal experience, I can testify that 
the majority of my friends growing up, only three or four of them are still following the Lord to this day. We know this experientially, that there are many people who at, at one point in life seem to be all for Jesus, and yet over time, that love and devotion to Jesus waned and no longer are living for the Lord. Well, I think this parable in Mark chapter 4 sheds some light on why these kinds of things happen. This parable helps us understand what is going on in the hearts of humans as the seed of God's word is being planted into the soil of the hearts of people. The parable of the sower reveals for us how the kingdom of God is both rejected but also embraced. Now, in order to understand this parable, I think it's essential to be aware of the preceding context. From basically chapter 2 all the way through to the end of chapter 3, Jesus has primarily come up against opposition to his teaching and his claims about himself. There are those that embrace him, and the crowds seem to be amazed by him, but at this point in the narrative, the fundamental response to Jesus is actually opposition. Or, or as we saw several weeks ago, the, the crowds that embrace him, uh, they merely embrace him as a miracle worker, nothing more. This will be informative when we get to a very difficult part in this passage, a very offensive part in this passage. So verse 1 and 2 gives us the setting of Jesus' teaching. He's by the sea. And a crowd gathered that was so large that he actually had to get in a boat, and he taught them from the boat. Now this crowd is, is probably full of people who were um, a part of some of the other crowds as well. This crowd is probably very diverse when it comes to their opinion of Jesus. Within this crowd, we, we definitely know that there are followers. There's probably seekers. They're probably trying to figure out who Jesus is. There's probably skeptics, and there's probably opposers all in this crowd. And they've all come to hear Jesus. And we're told that he was teaching them many things in parables, in these kinds of stories. Now, we don't know all that he was teaching them in these parables. Here in Mark, we're, we're simply given a sample size of his parable teachings. So that's the setting. He's he's. By the sea, he's on this boat, and he's proclaiming, he's teaching the people in parables. And in verse 3, Jesus begins to teach them specifically a new parable. So look at verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So there's this seed sower. He goes out and he begins sowing. And as he's sowing, some of his seed falls along the path, but but the birds come and devour the seed. And there's also some seed that falls on rocky ground, and, and the seed does actually spring up immediately because it lacked any depth of soil. 
But when the sun came out, it, it was scorched and it withered away and, and because there was no root with the seed. And there was also some seed that fell among thorns and, and in the end, the thorns choked the seeds that grew so that it yielded no grain. But there was some seed that fell on good soil and it produced grain. In fact, it grew so much that it yielded 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now, at this point in the narrative, there's no explanation from Jesus. He merely tells this parable, this story. He doesn't explain to the crowd at all what this means. But he does make a declaration in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What a strange statement. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In one sense, everyone has ears for the most part, and everyone can hear for the most part. But can they? Can they? Just because one has ears doesn't mean they can hear the things of God and understand them and receive them. See, this statement from Jesus doesn't actually originate with Jesus. He's pulling this directly out of the Old Testament. There's several examples of this in the Old Testament, but, but for one example, in Ezekiel 12, Ezekiel 12 verses 1 and 2, Ezekiel is speaking about Judah's captivity. He's, he's talking about Judah being taken into exile. And this is what God declares. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Their rebellious, sinful heart prevented them from seeing, though they had eyes, prevented them from hearing, though they had ears. They were unable to hear the word of God, receive it, and understand it. You see, hardening your heart towards God removes the ability to see and understand when God speaks and acts. And Israel, in their hardness of heart, they paralyze themselves from being able to hear and understand and receive God's word. So how can one overcome such a reality? Well, the answer is only God can overcome such a reality. It's interesting, in, in Deuteronomy 29, where the second generation of Israel is about to enter the promised land, and basically Moses is preparing the people to enter the promised land, and you have the renewal of the covenant, and he says this to them in Deuteron Deuteronomy 29, verse 2 to 4. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Did you catch that? 
Moses says, you saw all the Lord did before your eyes. You, you beheld the majesty of God. And yet Moses then goes to say, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. In other words, there are two kinds of seeing. There are two kinds of hearing. This kind of hearing that God is speaking of is a hearing that can only come about by the work of God. And so when Jesus makes this statement, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, he's calling to mind Israel's history. And he's declaring to the crowd, will you respond with hardness of heart or will you humble yourselves and receive my words? Do you have ears to hear the words of Jesus? So Jesus proclaims this parable to the crowds. He makes this declaration, and in verse 10, we then have a scene change. He's no longer with this large crowd. He, he's alone with the twelve and his others and his other disciples. And and they specifically ask him about the parables, as we read in verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Now, we're not sure how many were with him, but it seems that this group, including the twelve, were his actual followers. And they ask him about the parables, but, but we're not told specifically what they ask. But most likely, they are asking for clarity based upon what Jesus says in the next verses. Here in verse 11 and 12, Jesus reveals the shocking purpose of these parables. So, so they ask for clarity, and then Jesus responds to them with this almost offensive statement. And then further down, he then begins to explain to them the parables. See, the, this response of Jesus in verse 11 and 12, uh, many consider... Uh, many theologians call it one of the hard sayings of Jesus. So look at verse 11 to 12. So in verse 10, they, they come to him and they ask him about the parables. And in verse 11, he says, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. There's several things we need to see here. First, Jesus makes a distinction between those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. Those who are on the inside of the kingdom, his 12 and the others that are with him, and those on the outside of the kingdom, the crowds and even the religious leaders. But we also see here the decisive factor between those who are on the inside and those on the outside. What's the decisive factor? It's this. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the kingdom in Jesus Christ has been given by God to the disciples of Christ. But for those on the outside, Jesus says, everything is in Parables. And in verse 12, we're told why. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. 
and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now that's a startling statement. But Jesus here in this passage is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where God commissions Isaiah to prophesy against rebellious Israel. And he's to prophesy against Israel until judgment comes. In other words, Isaiah's prophetic utterances in, in chapter 6 were a form, hear this, of God's judgment against hardened Israel. Israel's, Isaiah's proclamation hardened Israel even further because they had rebelled against God's word. And I think Jesus is making a parallel between the Israel of his day and the Israel of Isaiah's day. It's not that everyone in Israel rejected Jesus. There were many that believed, but the great majority were hardened toward Jesus. And chapters 2 and 3 reveal the hardness of heart towards Jesus, specifically among the religious leaders, but also the crowd. So the decisive factor for, for the disciples being on the inside of the kingdom was God revealing the secret of the kingdom to them. Listen, we need to hear this. Jesus isn't as inclusive as people tend to think he is. And his parables were, were meant to, in one sense, divide between those who were given the secret of the kingdom and those whose hearts were hardened toward him and were on the outside. In one sense, you could say his teaching were both acts of grace and judgment at the same time. See, Jesus' first coming was a form of judgment. He judges Israel at his first coming for their hardness of heart and unbelief. God is not obligated to give the secret of the kingdom to anyone. He delights to, but he's not obligated to. When God chooses to give the secret of the kingdom to any individual or people, it is because of his mercy, not because of obligation. This is precisely what the Apostle Paul argues in Romans 9, where he declares that God will show mercy to whom he wills. There is not one human being deserving or has any claim to the mercy of God that would undermine what mercy is. So friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, know that the secret of the kingdom that is found in Jesus was given to you by God. You received both light and sight from Jesus. You heard and understood because he gave you ears to hear and a mind to understand. And the thankfulness that should flow from our hearts toward Jesus because of this is, is exponential. We should be overwhelmed with thanksgiving and praise toward God for showing us such mercy, for revealing to us the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, despite the fact that the disciples of Jesus had been given the secret of the kingdom, it didn't mean they fully understood the parables, but it did allow for them to ask further questions, which is what we read 
in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? For some reason, Jesus logically argues that it's necessary to understand this parable if one is to understand all the others. And, and we're not totally sure why. But Jesus, at this point, then compassionately begins to explain with, to those who are on the inside the meaning of the parable. So they come to him and they, they have this question. They don't fully understand. And Jesus really gives them this really hard saying about how the secret has been given to them. The secret of the kingdom has been given to them. But, but to those outside, everything is spoken to them in parables. And, and then he almost is surprised by their lack of understanding. And so he compassionately, in verses 14 and 20, begins to explain to them in further detail what this parable is all about. So look at verses 14 and 20. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So the sower which represents Jesus and any other person who proclaims God's word, whether it be through preaching or a conversation over coffee, is sowing the word. And the seed represents the word going out and, and landing on different kinds of soil, different kinds of ground. Now what we need to see is there's never anything wrong with the seed, but the kind of soil. If the seed doesn't produce fruit, it's not the seed's fault, but the kind of ground that the seed fell upon. And so the first ground we see here is, is the path. The seed falls upon the path, and, and Jesus says, These are those who hear the word, but immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. See, the seed really hasn't penetrated into the hearts of these people precisely because the path is quite too hard. The path represents people who hear the word, but the word never really penetrates into their hearts because there's a hardness there. And Satan comes and, and snatches away any possibility of that seed being planted. These individuals aren't necessarily hostile. It could be that they're just indifferent. They're, they're so hardened that, that they're just indifferent to God's word. There are many people who have heard the word over and over again, and their response to it is indifference. You think of those in the crowd that, that heard Jesus for most of his ministry, but never actually embraced him as the Messiah, as the Savior. But there's also seed that falls among rocky ground. 
These are the individuals, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. There, there's an excitement. There's an emotional response to what they've heard. By all appearances, they seem to have come to faith. But time will reveal their true colors. They, for a season, do seem to be walking with the Lord. There's a level of endurance. But when the circumstances of their lives alter they immediately fall away. When everything's going all right for them, they're all into Jesus. But when things take a drastic change, you would wonder if they had ever heard of him. And specifically here, the, the circumstances that, that lead them to fall away are tribulation and persecution. In other words, their faith will cost them, and they're not willing to pay the cost. They fall away. And why do they fall away, Jesus says? It's because they have no root in themselves. The seed hasn't gotten deep down into the soil where a foundation can be laid, a foundation for them to stand upon in the midst of hostility and conflict. You see, their, their faith is, is driven by emotional highs and lows. They lack the will to endure because their faith is shallow and immature. They thought in following Christ, life would get easier. And they were awoken to a rude awakening. There's probably few professing Christians in Canada who have fallen away because of persecution. Maybe some of us can testify to, to moments where people have mocked us for our faith, but, but we haven't endured any real hostile persecution living in Canada. We have been able, for the most part, to practice our faith with very little interference. But if the trajectory of where our society is headed actually comes about, we as professing Christians need to prepare ourselves for what may lay ahead. For there will be many who by all indication have seemed to profess faith but will in the end fall away because of tribulation. There was also seed that fell among thorns. These are those who hear the word, Jesus says, but their hearts treasure worldly things. They're not willing to give up their idols, and these idols choke the word from producing fruit. Jesus lists the, the three things that prevent the word from producing fruit in these individuals. The first thing he says is the cares of the world. These are individuals who are so consumed with, with worldly affairs. Have you ever met that person who, who can give you a thousand reasons for why they're just too busy to follow Jesus and join a church and be committed to a church family? I have this new job that's, that's so demanding. I have to work 70, 80 hours a week. I have a friend's birthday party this weekend. That's why I can't be there. My kids are in this basketball tournament. I can't really commit to a church. And the list goes on and on and on. They are consumed by the cares of this world. They have wrong priorities. And because of this, the, the word gets choked out. But it's not just the cares of the world. It's also, as Jesus says, the deceitfulness of riches. 
These are those who are so devoted to the pursuit of wealth that nothing will prevent them from pursuing this idol, not even the words of the Son of God. Now, it's interesting that Jesus refers to this as the deceitfulness of riches. What's the deceitfulness of riches? What's, what's so deceitful about riches? Well, for one, we deceive ourselves into thinking that wealth provides legitimate security. Wealth cannot protect us from the haunting reality of death. We've seen this with this pandemic. It has killed both the rich and the poor. We brought nothing into this world and will take nothing with us. All that we have sought to, to build up some misguided form of security can be taken from us overnight. The other deception about wealth is that riches can buy us happiness. If we had just a little bit more, we would truly be happy and live life to its fullest. When in reality, quite often, the more you get, the more discontent you become. Friends, the deceitfulness of riches has captivated many people's lives. And we think of Jesus' warning, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? So there's the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and Jesus also says the desire for other things, which I think is just all-encompassing. How many people have not embraced Jesus because of their desires for such trivial, meaningless, worldly things? You see, I think the seed tossed among the thorns is the great struggle for us today in Canada. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, that's the greatest danger of our day. How many people are completely numb to, to spiritual matters because they're consumed with worldly affairs? And Christian, what's scary is how easy our hearts can be lured away by these same things if we're not careful. If we're not vigilant in examining our, examining our hearts, there, there's no guarantee that, that this will not one day describe you or I. The things of the world are appetizing, and we must be vigilant in making sure our lives are bearing fruit according to God's word. But there was also seed that fell on good soil. And this describes those who, one, as Jesus says, hear the word, two, accept it, and three, bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This is so important to see. Accepting God's word isn't enough. One must always bear fruit in accepting God's word. The good soil is the person who hears, accepts, that is, understands, and gets and, and it gets so deep down into the soil of their hearts that it begins to bear fruit. And this is why I caution against any idea of easy believism. This is why at Royal York I don't do altar calls. Jesus didn't do altar calls. 
This is why I caution against easy believism. Just, just repeat after me and, and pray this prayer and you can be guaranteed that, that you've been saved and you're going to go to heaven. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. There are many people who have received the word with joy, yet have fallen away. It's not merely the one who receives it with joy. It's not merely the one who accepts it. No, it's the one who accepts it and bears fruit. Is this not precisely what Jesus said at the end of chapter 3, which we looked at last week? It is he that does the will of God that is my brother, sister, and mother. If you're watching this and you believe that you've accepted Jesus and his word, but nothing about your life is bearing fruit, there's no change in your life, I want you to hear this from me, and, and I want you to understand this is coming from a place of love. I hope you find no security in your profession. I hope you find no security in your profession until your life bears fruit. Until your life demonstrates, demonstrates that you're truly committed to Jesus and his ways. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you will know who my disciples are by their fruit. And maybe today would be a wake-up call to you to realize that, that you're not actually the good soil that Jesus speaks of here. And that it might cause you to repent and truly turn to Jesus and, and allow his word to produce fruit in your life so that you might become the good soil. See, if you were to spend some time searching your own heart, thinking about this parable, which kind of soil represents you? Are you the, the path where Satan comes and merely takes the, the seed that's planted away because your heart is too hard? Or are you the rocky ground where you receive the word with joy, but in the midst of conflict and tribulation, you, you're inclined to wander away from the Lord? Or are you the, the seed that fell among thorns, the soil that's there and, and there's some form of fruit, but, but the, the thorns come and choke any hope of fruit because you are captivated by the things of this world? Or are you the soil where the seed falls upon? You hear the word, you understand it, and you bear fruit. That is in accordance with the will of God. Will you humble yourself and allow God's word to penetrate the depths of your heart in order that you may bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask simply for this, God, that your word would bear fruit in our lives, that you would accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.